It's a story of sex in the White House, which appeals to the people who are interested in lurid kinds of stories. Welcome to Journalism History, a podcast that rips out the pages of your history books to re-examine the stories you thought you knew and the ones you were never told. I'm Terry Finneman, and I research media coverage of women in politics. And I'm Ken Ward, and I research the journalism history of the Great Plains and Rocky Mountains. And together, we are professional media historians guiding you through our own drafts of history. Transcripts of the show are available at journalism-history.org podcast. This episode is sponsored by Taylor & Francis, the publisher of our academic journal, Journalism History. 25 years ago, one of the biggest sex scandals in presidential history broke, becoming a nonstop media sensation in 1998. Attempting to quell the political crisis, Bill Clinton went on national television declaring this now infamous line, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. Indeed, that woman, Monica Lewinsky, would go on to become a household name as the affair between the White House intern and the President of the United States became all too public. Late-night talk shows piled on the jokes. Clinton was impeached, nonstop media coverage blared, and this previously unknown woman found herself publicly humiliated and bullied. On today's show, Tracy Everbach of the University of North Texas discusses her research, Monica Lewinsky and Shame, 1998, newspaper framing of That Woman, to provide historical context of the problematic media framing that Lewinsky endured. Tracy, welcome to the show. Why do you think it's important to analyze how the media covered Monica Lewinsky in 1998 when her affair with Bill Clinton became public? Well, I can answer this from a personal perspective. Having been a journalist at the time um, and working in a newsroom, I have reflected back on um, those times and how we, the journalists, treated her. And um, frankly, I'm embarrassed by the way that we treated her. Um, she was treated as, as, as a joke and something salacious. And um, I just think seeing it now through the lens of Me Too and feminism, um, the, the situation, I personally see the situation completely differently from the way that I saw it back then. And um, it, always, it always did bother me a little bit, but, but now seeing it through the eyes of a scholar um, who studies, you know, feminism and journalist, journalism, um, I, I can see the, the poor treatment that we journalists gave her at the time and allowed for the public humiliation of, of a private citizen. You know, the relationship between Clinton and Lewinsky as was one of the first times the mainstream media was forced to follow a story scooped by an internet source. For our younger listeners especially, give us some of the background of that and the implications of it. Okay. Um, well, you know, at the time, the mainstream media was still the place where most people got their news. Um, very different now that most people get their news from social media. Um, and also at the time, the mainstream media virtually ignored the web um, to its own peril. But they were forced to follow this story, which was broken by the Drudge Report, um, 
when they reported on the the dress that that Monica had kept that supposedly had Bill Clinton's semen on it. Um, another salacious detail. You know, so they so they had to follow an internet source on this. And I, I think a lot of journalists were very surprised by that. They always they thought that they were the news that everybody wanted to know about and wanted to follow. Um, of course, we know what happened subsequently. You know, the internet allowed news to be spread by anyone. Um, and, you know, the, the newspaper business in particular never really harnessed it properly and ended up losing money, employees, clout, trust, all of these things because they never confronted head on the internet. And, you know, at, at one point, we're putting out stories for free on the internet, which if you're going to do that, you are never going to get people to pay for it. Um, so it, it, it was, it was probably the start of the internet age of news. You examined almost 200 articles about Lewinsky in the Wall Street Journal and New York Times and found a few common themes. One was the level of personal and sexual details that mainstream newspapers ran during this time. What was the explanation that newspapers gave for running them, and what kind of coverage were they providing? That's a great question, because when I went back and looked at this, I was pretty shocked at the, the level of detail that was published, um, explicit details of things that have sexual acts that happened between Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky, um, personal details of her life, all kinds of things like that. I do have to say a lot of that had to do with uh, Ken Starr, who was the special prosecutor on the case, who chose to focus on these kinds of details and, you know, address them in, in the hearings that he held and put them in his report that came out, um, which was, had, just had very explicit details in it of things that really nobody would want to come out about their personal sex life. And I think the newspapers justified this by saying, well, this is involving the president, so it's important and we need to publish it. But no one stopped to think that, well, okay, the president of the United States, yes, is a public figure. However, Monica Lewinsky was a private citizen who worked as an intern at the White House and basically was taken advantage of by her boss. Um, we can discuss a little more about that because she was painted as the seducer and but the fact is she was you know when this happened she was 22 23 years old and he was her boss and you know it, no one stopped to think well you know perhaps it's not a good idea to publish the intimate details of a 22 or 23 year old sex life um and and that that would follow them for the rest of their life so um, it kind of, looking back, was, was a, a pretty heartless decision to publish those kinds of details. How did feminists react to the Clinton-Lewinsky affair, both in general and in the newspaper? You know, that was an interesting topic that I stumbled upon because Lewinsky at the time said, you know, well, 
or after the fact said, where were the feminists? You know, they weren't, they weren't stepping in and defending me. Um, her explanation was that Bill Clinton was a president who was very friendly to women and portrayed himself as a feminist. And so um, that it was hard for feminists to, you know, go against him because he had done so much for them. Um, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I mean, there were some feminists who, who stood up for her, um, including Gloria Steinem. And um, the media coverage kind of treated feminists as, as if feminists are just one entity, you know, whereas there are many different kinds of feminism and there are many different types of feminists. There isn't just one feminist movement. And so it, but it was portrayed that way that, you know, oh, feminists are just this one entity and they all supported Bill Clinton and not Monica Lewinsky. Uh, and that's not exactly accurate about about what happened. You write that Lewinsky was framed as a naive in turn, a sexual predator and a jealous girlfriend. What were some of the word choices used in newspapers to describe her? That was another thing that I, I was kind of surprised and disgusted about. I mean, I was reading an article, an editorial in the Wall Street Journal, you know, supposed to be such a respected newspaper. And it, it, the very last line of it was about her indict the little, the little tart. And I was like, what? The Wall Street Journal indict the little tart? I mean... <laughs> That's just so crude and insulting. Um, and yeah, she was framed as being promiscuous. Um, she was called a bimbo. She was called a slut. She was portrayed as sex crazed. Um, and then, of course, you know, Bill Clinton called her that woman when he said, when he famously said, I did not have sex with that woman. Um, so she kind of was portrayed as, you know, a, a person who, who did not have a good reputation and, you know, continued to be portrayed that way for decades afterward. What was the third wave of feminism like at this time? Talk a little bit more about the overall climate for women in America in the 1990s and how that maybe helps explain what you found. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting phenomenon because it we, you know, we can go back and we can look at the second wave of feminism which basically one of the one of the tenets of second wave feminism was that men sexualize women. So the male gaze, women are sexualized by the male gaze and women are posed and portrayed and exist to, you know, feed the male mind. Well, in third wave feminism, there was this idea, this notion that you could be, that women could be empowered by their sexuality. So, um, you know, you could be sexually aggressive or sexually assertive and that that was empowering. However, the backlash to that, I think, can be seen in the way that Lewinsky was portrayed because she was portrayed as being, you know, as the aggressor with Clinton, you know, supposedly she flashed her thong at him and she seduced him, you know, that's, that's the way the framing went. 
And so it, it kind of backfired and backlash on her. It, it, it wasn't seen as, oh, she's sexually empowered. It was seen as, you know, oh, she's a stalker. She's a seducer. She's a slut. So this whole notion of, of women's empowerment through sex really was overshadowed by the old tropes that a woman who is sexually assertive is, you know, undesirable and slutty. And that whole double, double standard that, you know, a man who enjoys sex and wants to have sex is looked at as, you know, he's a stud, but a woman, a woman who enjoys sex and wants to have sex is looked at as a slut or a bimbo. So um, I, I saw that come out in the coverage and it kind of shattered that whole third wave feminist notion of sex being empowering. So in the 25 years since the Lewinsky coverage, how much progress do you think has actually been made by journalism and how women are treated in media framing? Not much. Um, no, I mean, I hate to say it. I, I do think that the same tropes still exist. Um, I, I do think that women are still stereotyped and shamed, especially those who don't fit the mold of, you know, the perfect woman. Um, we can look at and see how, how powerful women are, are portrayed and still are stereotyped. You know, we can, we can look at political women like Sonia Sotomayor, um, Kamala Harris, and they still receive, you know, scrutiny um, and questioning of should they be, you know, do they deserve to be in the positions where they are? Um, look at all the the negative coverage and harassment Nancy Pelosi has received over the years. Um, we can even look in sports, how how women are you know, portrayed as not belonging there. It's, you know, they're not supposed to be in that realm. And we can look at the, the coverage of the Williams sisters in tennis, you know, the negative portrayals of them. Um, we also can look at popular culture and look at the negative kinds of things that have been thrown at Britney Spears or Taylor Swift, um, Lizzo. You know, these these are all women icons in our culture, yet they all have endured some kinds of criticism, harassment, negativity, um, that they don't belong where where they are, even though they have achieved a lot and have, you know, risen to the top of their fields. Um, so I do, I do sadly see a lot of derision toward women still in media. Your research was spurred by the 2015 TED Talk about Lewinsky um, that she gave called The Price of Shame, in which she criticized and dissected her treatment in news media. Since then, Impeachment American Crime Story has aired, bringing the matter back to public attention again. Why do you think this moment in history endures in media into the present? I think it's I think it's complicated. I think, you know, it's it's a story of sex in the White House, which, you know, that appeals to the lurid, um, you know, to people who are interested in lurid kinds of stories. Um, 
But it also dealt with the betrayal of a friend because Linda Tripp supposedly was Monica Lewinsky's friend and she's the one who released the information to, you know, the star investigation about her friend, released phone conversations and, you know, private information that her friend had given her. So there's there's that element too. Um, it's also a story of a boss taking advantage of a young woman. Um, you know, it, it, it also involved Hillary Clinton, who was married to Bill Clinton. And Hillary Clinton is one of the most powerful women in, you know, America. And um, her choice to stay with Bill after, after this happened is, is another element, I think, that, that interests interest people. And then just the whole um, redemption of Monica Lewinsky with the work that she does now on protecting victims from shaming and bullying. So um, I think that that's, that's part of the compelling story as well, because she went from being a, you know, young woman who got caught up in a worldwide, I was going to say national, but I think it got attention worldwide, a worldwide, you know, scandal. Um, and then found a way to reframe the whole thing and reinvent her life. And I think that that's, that's a very compelling story as well. We usually go back much further in history on our show. So just going back 25 years uh, feels so recent. <laughs> uh, still, it is history. Uh, and our final question of the show for all of our guests is, why does journalism history matter? Well, obviously, we need to look at how we covered issues in the past so that we as journalists can continue to pursue our goal of ethically and accurately covering the news. So um, there have been positive changes even in recent years in the way that we portray different groups in media. Um, an example I can think of is, you know, back in the 90s, and when I worked for a newspaper, we used to publish all these mug shots of people who were wanted by the police. Well, invariably those would be you know, pictures of black people. Um, and so that I think went on to give the portrayal that black people are criminals. And, and you know, every now and then there might have been a mugshot of a white person. Um, and, but there's definitely, you know, if you look at studies, there's discrepancy in the way that these mugshots were used. So, Many media organizations have moved away from that, realizing that that's a problem. And I think that the Black Lives Matter movement brought a lot of attention to that. I also think there have been some subtle changes in the way we portray women, especially women who have been abused by powerful men. Um, and I think that the Me Too movement has had a lot to do with that and has uh, raised a lot of awareness among the public about it. Um, so we have been able to, you know, look at, at things that we covered in the past and make changes to be more equitable and 
accurate and ethical. Um, we still have a long way to go, though. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at JHistoryJournal. Until next time, I'm your host, Terry Fenneman, signing off with the words of Edward R. Murrow. Good night, and good luck. Good luck.